Good morning. If you want to turn open to the book of Malachi. Sorry about uh, that. I won't have an opportunity to give my conclusion. Brian stole that from you today. (laughs) I'm just kidding. That was awesome. I would ask you, I I came down with a really bad cough the last um, two days. And this morning has just been really bad. I've been praying... Um, for kind of a mini miracle that it would not be distracting. So um, if you pray while I preach to you uh, for that. <clears throat> okay. Um, Malachi, it is on page 1021. Go to Matthew, take a, take a left, one book, and there you are. Uh, let me give you some context. Matthew, uh, Malachi was written about 430 uh, years before Jesus came. <clears throat> God's people had returned from exile about a hundred years earlier, and they'd rebuilt the temple, which is a sign of God's presence being with them. But instead of experiencing the blessing they expected, now they're living in kind of these dark times. There's a darkness around them. They suffered kind of drought, uh, crop failure. Uh, They also were looking around. It seemed like the wicked were prospering and God's people were suffering. There's also a darkness within them, kind of a spiritual numbness, you might say. They were going through the motions of being religious without any real experience of God's um, pleasure and peace and joy. Their question was, we're living in the promised land in the presence of God, but where are the blessings? Why the darkness? And I acknowledge that that may be some of your... um, your questions, you come to this Christmas season or into this service this morning, same thing. Um, you know, we, we're singing all these joyful Christmas songs, but there just seems to be um, darkness right now, maybe some in your life. Why the darkness? This is supposed to be the happiest time of the year. We talk about Jesus being the light of the world. Emmanuel is our s- series, God with us. Yet we're not experiencing the real joy and peace and pleasure in God that we really want. Malachi finishes this book with a passage before us that offers real hope. Serious, real hope for such times. As one commentator said, Malachi is like a late evening, bringing a long day to a close. But he's also the morning dawn, which bears a glorious day in its womb. So I want to see that hope as we read Malachi. We'll start with uh, chapter 3, verse 13, and read through... Chapter 4, verse 3. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is a profit of keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. And I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. And once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, a day is coming burning like an oven. When all the arrogant and evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze. 
says the Lord of hosts, so that it will be, leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. A reading of God's word. <clears throat> Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Let's pray once more. God, we thank you for a day of worship. And we acknowledge that many of us come in so needy for good news, for light to come into the darkness. And we pray only by work of your Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that this will happen. We pray that it will happen. Would you show up, God? Would you be with us, Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so, darkness. Um, met a lot of people who uh, love things like ice cream, like uh, pizza, going to Disney World. Uh, I can't say I've ever met anyone that says, you know what I love? I just love darkness. Right? There's something about darkness. I do not like um, darkness. You might even say I'm afraid of the dark. I've had some bad experiences. Uh, one of which is when I used to live in Mississippi, I'd go hunting a good bit. And there was one night where I was deep in the, in the woods, I'd forgotten my flashlight. And uh, what, what a huge deal, I had my telephone with me, which offers you know, a light and a compass and everything you need these days, even when you're in the middle of the woods. <laughs> but I got out of the woods to walk out, and I realized my battery was low. So I started to panic, I turned off my light, I'm just using, walking real slow. And next thing I know, my light, the phone just dies. And um, I, I tell you, I could, I could barely see. It was so dark. The moon was even uh, hidden. Uh, I could barely see the ground beneath me. And um, I knew my direction I was supposed to head, but I was, I was just lost, completely dark. It was a very hopeless, hopeless feeling the next couple of hours, moving very slowly. Every sound uh, seemed like it was an animal fixing a pounce on me. Um. I realize from such situations, it taught me how much we need and rely on light. There's a reason why darkness is used metaphorically throughout the Bible in different ways. There's darkness, it uses sometimes darkness outside or around us, right? Uh, It's the reality of evil and injustice. We live in a fallen world. Life is full of disappointments, struggle. We all have dark seasons of life where we just say life is just hard, right? Um, then there's another darkness, and that's the darkness inside of us. That is a sin nature we we're born with, a sin nature that has plagued us even this week or this morning. Now you might be saying, I came this morning expecting a good hopeful Christmas sermon. Kids are singing, and this does not seem very cheerful. But my hope is, is this text will be very hopeful to you. Listen. Here's the point. We cannot experience, fully experience the glory and hope of Christmas without fully understanding the darkness that required the light to come into it. Let me say that once more. We cannot fully experience the glory and hope of Christmas before we understand and acknowledge the darkness that required the light to come into it. Christmas has everything to do with God's desire to bring 
hope, light into every dark corner of our lives. My prayer this morning is that light will beam into your life in those ways through this passage. So we'll look first at the the darkness that we all feel and then the light that we long for. So let's look first at the darkness we feel. And I'll start with the darkness around us. The darkness around us. So Russell Moore, some of you have heard his name, Baptist theologian and writer. He told the story in one of his blogs recently of going to a local bookstore a few years ago. You overheard a man um, telling his friend that he hated Christmas. And the man went on to say, it's all about the music I hate. And uh, just as Russell thought he was in the presence of of a Grinch, a real Grinch, you know, the man says, you know, Christmas is just boring. Because there's no narrative tension. It's just like reading a book without conflict. That caught Russell's attention. He found himself agreeing with the man as he thought of how the many, many of our popular Christmas songs just don't acknowledge the reality of the darkness around us. Especially, this man was especially uh, acknowledged this as this was just hours after the Sandy Hook shooting had been announced. Many of us know, though, that the Bible and the real Christmas story are far from boring and far from out of touch with the reality of darkness around us. The Bible begins, God's people begin in slavery, unjust slavery for 400 years being persecuted. The book of Job mentions darkness 35 times in 42 chapters as he suffers the loss of his family and his health. There are psalms, many psalms of lament used to seeing, the people of God, to seeing where they groan over life's dark times of loneliness, pain. People here in Malachi were suffering as well, as I mentioned above. And no doubt many of us here are dealing with the reality of darkness around us. Um, I have a program that does a survey of the, of the, of the area around us, and I did that about a three-mile radius, and, and a large percentage are dealing with... Um, are living below the poverty line. A recent survey was done in our 30 life groups, and about two-thirds of our life groups include people who uh, say they're really struggling financially. Another two-thirds really struggle, have, have, have families that are really struggling with anxiety. Half of those families, uh, or half of the life groups have families that are struggling with marital conflict, a chronic physical illness. I know several that have chronic pain in our church. There's several that are dealing with severe depression. I read a blog even last night <coughs> before I went to, uh, went to bed, recently posted by one of our members, very honest about their um, severe depression that no one knows about, making it public. My wife is friends with a family in Memphis where uh, two of their three children have a genetic brain disease. and One of their daughters just recently died from it a few weeks ago, three weeks before her sixth birthday. And the second daughter may suffer the same. Um, that is just as dark and as sad as I can think about. I mean, as she read that to me about two or three days ago. And it just is just sad and dark. And again, some of us who are experiencing such things might be saying, where's the light? And where's the hope in the midst of such darkness around me? And as if the darkness around us isn't enough, we have the darkness within us. The people here in Malachi, the worst problem, see, wasn't the darkness around them. It was actually the darkness that was within them. It wasn't their funds or their health. It was their heart, the main problem. 
Their hardship had caused them to doubt God's love for them. In the beginning of Malachi, it opens up in verse 2. The whole book says, God says, I have loved you. But you respond, how have you loved me? You hear it? And then on top of that, their worship had become duty-like routine. They were ignoring the poor and God's tithe and, and ha- while half-heartedly giving to God their leftovers. And then here in verse 14 in our text, it says, they were saying, it's just vain to serve God. See that? It's vain to serve God. Where's the prophet in it, they said. Verse 15, everything's going great for the wicked. They're prospering, but not for us. So you hear their heart problem? If God was really God, then, <clears throat> and he really loved me, then I wouldn't be experiencing such darkness. What I really want from God are his blessings. Where's the profit of serving God if he's not going to make my life comfortable and easy? Pretty modern day question. John Piper wrote a book recently called Living in the Light, Money, Sex, and Power. He fleshes out the problem It's in their hearts and ours as well, using an analogy of a solar system. He says this, we were made to live with God as the all-satisfying center of our lives. With everything else in a good, godly, happy orbit around it. The preference for other things over God is like replacing the sun at the center of our solar system, the solar system of our lives with an inferior planet, such as money, sex, power, or simply ourself, so that the planets of these of money, sex, and power, which once held their God-glorifying orbits, are flying wildly and dangerously out of orbit. <clears throat> Ruin and destruction come because we have exchanged the glory of God, the blazing sun, for other things, things that cannot hold our lives together. The question that we need to ask today, what is potentially shining most brightly at the center of your life? The center purpose of your life. What's, what, what is your money and time and energy naturally orbit around? What do you give those things to? Many of us would answer with very good things, such as family or friendships. Some might say their work or the pursuit of love, <coughs> acceptance, influence, or even power. Some, many of us would say, just, I just want to live, I want a comfortable life. It comes from financial security. And these are all good things, gifts of God, right? But it is the darkness within. It is our sin nature that takes those good things ever so suddenly and moves it to be, moves them to be our sun, which the purpose of our life orbits around. We have different ways of looking to something else besides God to hold our lives in orbit and make us happy. We've all experienced how in the end of every one of those things, it's like putting our hope in a cell phone with a dying battery. It's, it's light is temporary. It's power and attraction fail us. We feel then lost and without hope <coughs> and peace. So you see, Christmas is far from boring. There is a tension in this story because... And before we can fully appreciate the light of Christmas along with the hope offered from its true story, we must acknowledge and admit this this darkness and feel it that's around us as well as that darkness that's inside of us that made light coming into the world necessary. Pastor and author Tim Keller wrote a book recently called Hidden Christmas. 
He says that it's not really easy to, it's not very easy to receive Christmas for what it is, for what it really is. See, imagine you have a good friend and they give you a Christmas gift and you open it up and it's a dieting book. And then another good friend gives you a book that titled Overcoming Selfishness. Which case, first of all, I'd say it didn't make me feel as bad if that happened for giving Miriam one time a um, dehumidifier in a vacuum. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> not this Christmas. But if those friends gave you those books, um, to receive them requires a swallowing of your pride. A swallowing of your pride, admitting I'm indeed overweight and I'm indeed pretty selfish. You have to admit those to receive those gifts. And anyone can celebrate the Christmas tradition, singing the songs, the happy songs, decorate the tree and exchange gifts. Um, even Epcot can put on a very glorious candlelight processional. If you've been there, it's glorious. Um, and at the same time have atheists read the story right out of the Bible. Okay, so anybody can celebrate Christmas. Uh, Christian Christmas. But to fully experience Christmas and receive its hope, it requires one to first swallow their pride and say, I am full of darkness. I am lost. I am not the light. I cannot produce the light from within me and save myself from my own goodness, with my own goodness. Light must come outside of me. And rescue me and save me from this darkness around and within me. That's the darkness we feel. So let's look at the darkness, or at the light that we all long for. The light we long for. If you're here this morning hurting, uh, relate to the darkness, frustrated over it this morning, I really have been praying for you, longing that you would receive from this passage uh, as we look at some of the glorious passages of the glorious sources of light that you receive hope from them. So let's look at number one, the fear of God. The fear of God. This is verse 16. Look at verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. The book of remembrance was written before them of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Fear here is not like someone you are afraid of, like a child uh, being afraid of a stranger or the boogie monster in their closet. It's not that kind of fear. Fear means r- respect that leads to awe of something or someone. A respect that leads to awe. My family loves going to the ocean, like many of you. It's beautiful. We love to play in the sand and the water. But um, when there's a red flag out in the ocean... And you have small children, especially. There's a healthy fear that arises, right? You, you recognize to fully enjoy the ocean that day. You have to recognize that <clears throat> this the ocean's many more times more powerful than you are. You don't control it; it controls you. It's just bigger <laughs> than you. And and when you lose a healthy fear of the ocean, you lose your ability to enjoy it. Isn't it true that when we lose sight of the glory and greatness of God, small things in life relatively become so big and we begin to to attribute to them such fear? Some of us have things in our lives that seem so big and you spend such time worrying and fretting over them. They seem like they have such a control over your life. 
Could it be that this relatively small thing seems so big right now because you have let it eclipse the light of the greatness and glory of God? Just as a tiny moon will often do that to the greatness of the sun? Well, we don't know, we don't really know what these men who feared God spoke to one another about. But I, I think that they, I can imagine them sitting around maybe at the edge of the ocean recalling, you know, it's God who, he just poured this out like a glass of water and he holds it in the palm of his hand. Maybe they sat before a sunrise, a source of life and blessing, of heat and life to uh, for their plants to grow, beauty that captures their heart's plants. And they probably, maybe they recalled, you know, God just spoke that thing into existence with one word, the word of his power. So much bigger. And they didn't even know the full extent of the power of the sun, right? We know now that it's 1.3 million, uh, 1.3 million earths could fit inside of it. And it would take, it takes 100 billion, it would take 100 billion uh, tons of dynamite each second Uh, for us to let off on earth to match its power and energy. Immense power and glory. Maybe they spoke of the story of when God put to shame the the sun god of the Egyptians, snuffed it out like a candle for three days when he brought in thick darkness. Maybe they spoke of Psalm 134.12, Even the darkness is not dark to you, O God. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light. To you, or maybe Psalm eighty four eleven. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold to those who walk uprightly. God alone is a source of all good. Can you see them speaking to one another? God alone deserves our all. Whatever it was, light began to pour in, and those who feared God began to speak to one another. And we have here, I must not pass up, a practical and necessary channel of light and hope into your darkness if you relate with that this morning. Do you have someone that you can speak to about the darkness that you're struggling with? Do you have that? I have the privilege of meeting with a group of guys regularly um, and, and we have this aim and some of them... Um, initiated that we share quick prayer concerns when we're struggling. And I love that. We've been doing it the last couple of months. And, <clears throat> and we just ask for 30 seconds of prayer when you receive one of those texts. I'm just going to read one I received in the last two or three weeks. It said, one, of, one of these guys said, Hey, fellas, if you could, pray for me today as I'm struggling. Pray that I find more joy and obedience to Christ than any earthly thing. I just feel like today is going to be really difficult, almost like a battle that I'm not in yet, but that I can sense will begin soon. Who doesn't have those days all the time? Most of us, including myself, just don't take the time to speak of them to others. As some, so many of us would testify that, that light often comes through other people, sharing, speaking to those, to others, and having them pray for us and listen to us. The point is, is that light comes when we remember the greatness of God and fear him more than these other things. And we need others to speak of his greatness with us and to us often. And then comes the glorious source of light in the coming of Jesus. The coming of Jesus. Verse 2 here. Chapter 4, verse 2. 
but for you who fear my name. The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. <laughs> well, for a little over 400 years later after this passage was written, a man named Zechariah bore a son who was later called John the Baptist. Zechariah burst into prophetic song after the birth. And he quoted this verse almost, almost quoted. Uh, and he applied it to the prophecy of the Messiah, of Jesus who would soon to be born. He said in Luke One, he said, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on a high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Sunrise here, it literally actually means dawn. It refers to that short time before the sun comes up where you can just begin to see the rays of light. You know what I'm talking about? Over the horizon. That's why the King James uses the word in this verse, the the day spring. The day spring from on high. It's one of my favorite times when hunting, actually. Mississippi can get so cold with the humidity. Walk out in the dark, you're sitting just freezing, freezing. Thinking this is totally not worth it. (laughs) And all of a sudden you see a glimmer of light. The sun hasn't come up, but you glimmer of light. And immediately you have this hope that with just very soon there's going to be light. There's going to be warmth. There's going to be heat. Many of you have stood before an ocean horizon in the morning at dawn, experienced the same hope of the coming of the beauty. Beauty is fixing to pour into my soul with the coming of the sun, the sunrise. There's so many sweet promises, rays of light in the coming of Jesus. Let me name a few from both of these promises. Malachi, back in Malachi 2, says that Jesus is the son of righteousness. Righteousness. It refers to the hope in God's justice. Listen to this. On the one hand, Malachi 4.1 gives a sobering picture of what happens to those who persist to make something else the center of their universe. If you persist in that without repentance, it will not go well with you. The day of Jesus, when, when Jesus comes again the second time, there will not be mercy, but he will be like a scorching sun, it says, and like a burning oven. And there will be judgment for all who have rejected God's offer of mercy. There will be no hope. Even the root, it says, will be burned up. But it's a reminder to us who fear him now that just as the sun rises and lights cover, light covers the earth, so all wrongs in our lives will be made right. Evil and injustice and the darkness around us will not win. It will not remain forever. As one Christmas hymn says... He came to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Number two, visited. Luke says that the light visited us. This is such a, it's a simple little short phrase, but listen to the hope, the source of light here. It, it means this, the good news of Christmas is that you don't have to work your way to God. You don't have to go to him in order to earn his love. You don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to get rid of your darkness before you can be accepted and loved. You definitely don't have to get rid of it before you come into worship. No. Light came to us, visited us. Jesus left his infinite glory and light in heaven to be born in a really dark stable. Jesus experienced the darkness of poverty and rejection, even from his own family. He was 
recipient of the worst act of darkness and injustice ever committed. Why? Because he came to give light to those who sit in darkness. Malachi 4.2 continues as a third source of light. Why? He came to bring healing, healing in his wings. Think of the healing that comes first within us as you start to believe, as we believe this as Christians. Not to just, <clears throat> Jesus didn't come in the world just to identify with our darkness, but to take it upon himself. Think about, about when he went upon the cross later, the true part, the part of the Christmas story we can't forget, of him taking your pride, just sucking up your darkness of your pride, the lust of your flesh and valuing something like money or sex or lust or power approval or even your family, all upon himself. Jesus put the worst of our dark moments upon him and then he died. It's why Jesus, or in Matthew 27, it says that the darkness settled over the whole land for three hours, from 12 until 3 until Jesus died. A thick darkness came. It was the darkest moment of all of history. The story of Christmas goes like this. God so loved you that he sent the light of his son into the world to take upon our darkness so that when he rose again, we might be completely forgiven and healed from within of every dark sin and clothed with the light of his righteousness. We must not look in application to the dark, the dark situ- the circumstances around us or even within us, our current dark struggle, to judge whether or not God loves you or not. Right? Verse 17 in chapter 3 of Malachi says, God says to all those who fear him this morning, simply believe in the, in the Messiah, Jesus. He says, you are mine, he says right here in 17. You are my treasured possession. It was a term the kings used of their most valuable treasure. Doesn't that, isn't that a source of light in the darkness? You are God's treasured possession. There's amazing healing when you know that God who knows the worst darkness about you says, I love you. You are immensely valuable to me. It's this type of love that brings perspective and healing into the darkness around us as well. There's a missionary named Patricia St. John who poured her life ministering to some of the darkest places in the Sudan. In the darkest places of the world. And uh, she was there when war refugees flooded into that country who had suffered terribly and lost everything that they had. She described standing one night in a crowded little Sudanese church listening to a group of uprooted believers singing joyfully to God. And suddenly a life-changing insight burned its way into her mind. She says this. <clears throat> she says, we would have changed their circumstances. But we would not have changed them. God does not always lift people out of their dark situation. He himself comes into the situation. He does not pluck them out of the darkness. He becomes light in their darkness. What a powerful, powerful truth to us. God does not always bring healing by lifting you out of your dark situation. But he will bring healing by coming into your situation. Emmanuel, God with us, God with you. Maybe that's why Malachi finishes in the verse, he says, you'll go out leaping like calves from a stall. Leaping. I had to YouTube this. I didn't buy into it at first. I've never seen it. 
uh, to see what he was talking about. But sure enough, on YouTube, there are pictures of calves and cows leaping as they are freed from their stall and going out to graze. Some of you have probably seen it personal. Their excitement and their joy. And here's the truth, I think, that, he's, that Malachi is trying to say as he saw this. Your heart can leap in the midst of your darkness. Your heart, our heart, my heart, can leap in the midst of the darkness we feel. Our souls are capable of calf-like leaping, no matter what the dark circumstance you're dealing with around you or or within you. And this is not a shallow or superficial frolicking, no doubt. The Bible doesn't give us that. But it's a joy that's often mixed with tears and grief. But there is a healing from the warmth of God's love, the light of this Messiah that you have a relationship with, is in you, is come for you, is the day spring of your soul. I want to invite Jack to come up and lead us in the verse of O Come, O Come Emmanuel. It speaks of this light. Let me finish with this. Christmas is far from a boring story, isn't it? The light has visited us in our darkness. Hope has dawned. What we know We know that what we experience only in part now, I know this, this joy, this light, it's mixed with the darkness now. We only experience in part, but one day we will experience experience it in full, right? The last chapter of the book, this book, this story, some of the last verses say this, there will be no longer anything accursed and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or son, for the Lord their God will be their light, and they will live there forever. <laughs> I just want to share this last story. The family I mentioned that um, Miriam knows in Memphis just had their daughter die, six, five-year-old, almost six. Um, she read this blog post, and this woman finished with this in her blog after going through how dark it was, and just darkness after darkness. She says, she finishes with this. She said, God is so good. We're in the season of celebrating Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus became one of us and died so that our daughter could be with him forever. Glory, glory to the newborn king. Our daughter is healed. She is running and leaping and laughing and shouting and singing. And we miss her so very much. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Much love. Let's sing as Emmanuel has come to bring such hope. Oh, come the day with me. This is the true story of Christmas. To those who are experiencing such darkness around and within, we pray, God, 
we beg you that none would leave here without glimmer of hope that would increase as we celebrate this Christmas season. We center our week around the coming day spring of Emmanuel, who is God with us, entering into the darkness so that we may have hope that we would experience the hope and joy and peace that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.